In this episode, I speak with Jacqueline, a third-year medical student, about the experiences that brought her to medical school. She studied art history in undergrad and worked in the art world in New York before eventually deciding to pursue becoming a doctor. As a child, she was diagnosed with ALL, and we talk about this experience of being sick for herself and her family and the changes it wrought in her sense of identity and her physical body and how it sparked her interest in oncology. We talk about what it's like to care for a patient who reminds you of yourself or who shares a similar diagnosis and journey as you. Jacqueline offers a unique perspective of what it's like to experience illness and how it can change the trajectory of your life. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you for coming on to the podcast and sharing your story with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, to start off, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm a third-year med student here at U of M, and I'm interested in cancer-related things for my career, and I'm also interested in planetary health stuff on the side. Tell me a little bit about your journey to medical school and what made you want to become a physician. Yeah, so... I feel like the idea of being a doctor was something that I I grew up with at first um, and definitely didn't hurt that my dad's a physician and his dad is a physician Um, and I have a great-grandfather that's a physician and I was a nurse (laughs) so I feel like going into healthcare was always like just something that I thought I was going to do and then also in childhood I was diagnosed with leukemia when I was six years old Mm -hmm. and that was a pretty formative experience for me um, and also for my family it was pretty tough Um, but I remember when I was back in school full-time later on in middle school they had the type of thing where I was like what do you want to be when you grow up Mm -hmm. and I was like I want to be an oncologist I want to cure cancer and so (laughs) it brought something positive out of it and my dad also had cancer right before I had cancer. Oh, wow. So I feel like that particular interest of mine was something that drew me to medicine. And then I did take a little bit of a detour in college. Mm-hmm. I studied art history, which I took because it seemed like a fun, liberal artsy type yeah. of elective. <laughs> and I realized that it was just something that I felt, the, I felt compelled to study and compelled mm-hmm. to do. So when I graduated college... I worked for an auction house, and I had no intention of going to medical school, but then I wow. then I reconsidered, and yeah. here I am. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's an incredible story. What was it kind of the, the your experience working in, or studying art history that was like pushed you away from medicine, or what do you think was kind of like the thing when you were un- in undergrad that made you kind of not pursue that initially? Yeah, I guess part of it was I, I sort of... I'm the type of person that, like, when I put my sights on something, I work, I do everything I can to go after it. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can be helpful, um, but sometimes it can sort of leave me with, like, blinders on. Mm-hmm. So I sort of felt like I never really considered anything else. And then I got to college and I was taking all these wonderful classes and in, in disciplines that I had never taken before. Yeah. And I'd heard the art history program was good, so I just decided to take it because it just seemed like, a fun thing to do yeah. and I felt like it was intellectually just something so fun and interesting and mm-hmm. I kept wanting to take more and more history and it got to a point where I was like I feel like it, you know the evidence is in, on me on like in front of me on my transcript you mm-hmm. know like yeah. I really like our history and I thought that there were I was considering going into 
museum-related things or maybe pursuing a PhD at one point because yeah. um, art history professors are also the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then eventually I thought I would like the faster pace of the for-profit art world. I think a couple things that makes me think about is the way we um, talk about careers with kids. Yeah. Because um, I think it's really common that a lot of kids will, like, you know, be like, I want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, because kids are kind of given these, like, career, career like, blocks, and they're like, yeah. this, these different paths, and these are kind of the only things you can be. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's based on what their parents do or, like, what they've seen people do in other capacities in their life. But I think it's interesting, one, because I think there's so many things you can do in healthcare, and it's not just being mm-hmm. a physician. So it's always interesting to me that that's the one that sticks out for a lot of kids. But then also the importance of, like, a liberal arts education, I think, is mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. valuable. Even if you want to go to medicine, I think it's so valuable to learn a different discipline or get experience in different fields and mm-hmm. just teaches you something different about the world and ways to learn about the world. But then it also, I don't know, there's more career paths, too, that you can really explore and, and passions that you can find, even if you do end up finding your way back to medicine. So tell me about that. What... What kind of brought you back to medicine and brought you back to pursuing medical school? There were a few different aspects. I think that um, I think that it was really freeing and liberating to go out and move to New York and mm-hmm. go, you know, do the thing and work at this fancy auction house um, right out of college. And I think that it was such like a novelty and such a change mm-hmm. um, that I really, I did enjoy it for a few months. But then after like the shininess of it wore off, I realized like, uh, that atmosphere wasn't as collegial mm-hmm. as I want, as I hoped. And also I wasn't like, I wasn't as intellectually stimulated mm-hmm. as I had been taking the actual art history classes. Yeah. Um, and also arts, thought and talked about um, in a way in the for-profit art world that sat kind of weird with me. Mm-hmm. Like people talk about how certain colors make certain works of art more expensive than others. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't know if you know Andy Warhol's prints. Yeah. You know like some of them are exactly the same. They're just like in green versus yeah. pink. And yeah. I remember that there was this meeting um, whenever a work of art was priced over a certain threshold um, you had to have a meeting with a business specialist and a legal specialist and the art specialist mm-hmm. so that everyone can sign off and say, like, yes, it actually probably is worth this bajillion yeah. amount of money. Yeah. Um, and there were two works of art. One was a green Andy Warhol print. One was a pink one. Yeah. And they are like, oh, the green one is only worth, like, $10 million because it's green. But the pink one, oh, everyone loves pink. Like, $50 million. And I was like, that just seems so arbitrary. Yeah. And, and it seems like... I don't know, a hand wavy thing to get hung up about, yeah. but it was one of the, it's like a collection of those types of moments where I was like, I did not come here to yeah. put all my time and effort into, you know, trying to like sense whether people like pink or green more. Yeah. It just wasn't That's my thing. That's interesting. And I, I feel like that would change like based on what's in style at the moment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. That's so, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I don't know anything about the art world to be honest um but yeah I think that's it's it definitely seems like a probably different ways to think about art in terms of like thinking of art history versus you know for-profit art like you mentioned yeah. or things that go for the big bucks like that um I'm sure it's like a kind of a different mindset that maybe you have to have yeah um 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So decided to pursue a career in medicine and here you are at U of M. Tell me what your experience in medical school has been like so far. Um, it's been challenging. Overall, it's been good. Mm-hmm. Like there hasn't, I've never, I've never wavered in whether it was the right choice to completely yeah. pivot and go back to pursuing medicine. Um, but I definitely underestimated the challenges that COVID would pose yeah. in medical school. Yeah. That's been very hard and it's yeah. gotten better this year, but I'd be completely lying if I said yeah. that the first half of med school yeah. was was easy in that regard. Were you, did you start in 2020? Or yes. What, so you started Summer like, 2020. Okay. Like pandemic had already yeah. hit and yeah. we were like in the midst of it. Um, yeah. yeah. I can imagine that's very difficult. Um, my first year, I was very lucky to have pre-COVID and I loved first year. I mean, first year is hard. It's yeah. <laughs> very yeah. hard. Yeah. I wasn't it's like difficult because you're not doing any of the clinical medicine that you came to medicine to do and you kind of just have to get through the grind of yeah. learning everything but what I loved about it is there was a lot of more flexibility because you're kind of you know studying on your own time mm-hmm. and so there's a lot more time for like social things and like life things yeah. um, but I can imagine in a pandemic yeah. you can't do all those things and then you're also kind of like stuck in virtual lectures and like yeah. I I can't imagine having to do that, and I like kudos to your cohort and anyone who's kind of like gone through that aspect of medical school during lockdown and during the pandemic because it seems very difficult. I was I was during my second year um, when COVID hit and like in the middle of clinical clerkships, and they they ended up like pulling us out of clerkships, and we were out for an extended period of time. Um, So yeah, it's definitely made for a different experience um, for every aspect of training. I can imagine being in residency and COVID yeah. hit, like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it definitely made for a more difficult experience. Um, what are some of the things that you've enjoyed um, so far about medical school the most? It's, I get, I get very excited about, like, so much of the things that we've learned, especially um, with clerkships, it, like, really mm-hmm. felt like, oh my gosh, like, I'm doing the doctor thing, and, mm-hmm. like, and especially towards the end of clerkship year, um, when there were certain tasks or whatever, even just going to see a patient, mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the year, I'd be like, oh my God, yeah. I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> they can see right through me. I'm yeah. shaking. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the year, stuff that seemed like such a big deal at the beginning of the year yeah. was a piece of cake. And I was yeah. like, wow, I actually learned something. Like yeah. sometimes it felt like I wasn't because I was just so tired all the time Yeah. Um, and stressed and, and wondering and sometimes it's hard not to compare myself to my peers and I feel like so many of my peers are amazing that I'm just like oh gosh they're so good with patients they're so smart why can't I be more like that but um I think that at the end of the year I was like oh well comparing me to me a year ago I definitely have gotten better at the things that I was trying to get better at I think it's crazy. Clerkship year is like such a transformative year. Yeah. You see yeah. where you start at the beginning, like like you said, like so timid and scared and yeah. not sure how to honestly do anything. Like yeah. it's it's so scary. Um, and then coming out on the other end and you are like almost like a full fledged doctor. Obviously, you don't have your yeah. MD yet, but yeah. it feels like that, right? Like yeah. you have this different like knowledge set, and you yeah. can talk to patients, you can interact with patients, you can come up with you know rudimentary like treatment plans um and you can do so much more like maybe you've had an opportunity to do a couple different 
procedures and you yeah you yeah. just like you it's amazing it's really um so transformative and I think you touched on a good point too of like there's a lot of um, comparison that happens during mm-hmm. medical school especially during clerkship year comparing yourself to your peers but it's so much more beneficial to compare yourself to yourself and see yeah. like how much you've grown because um, you see so much growth that way and you yeah. see like I've learned so much you know and so it's really it's one of the more challenging but rewarding years of medical school for sure. I definitely agree. So um, tell me a little bit kind of to pivot now like thinking more back about your experience as a kid and Mm -hmm. having cancer as a child. Can you tell me a little bit more about that experience for you? Yeah so basically I was six years old and um, I had acute lymphoblastic leukemia Mm -hmm. which most common in childhood malignancy Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and the way it the way I presented was I started having really, really bad back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got worse and worse. I was taken to the pediatrician a few times by my parents. Um, and my mom definitely knew like something was up. You mm-hmm. know, moms yeah. just have that instinct. Yeah. Um, but the pediatricians didn't find anything wrong with me um, mm-hmm. at first. And then eventually uh, we got an x-ray after I had like a really bad pain crisis at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed like over 15 compression fractures of my spine, which wow. is obviously not normal. So yeah. at that point they're like, okay, yeah. this is weird. Why? Yeah. And basically I had developed really bad osteoporosis Yeah. and, um, they originally were like, is this an endocrine thing? Is this yeah. a weird metabolic thing? Is this like some very weird form of like osteogenesis imperfecta? Yeah. Or could it be leukemia? Because um, at, at the time they, you know, drew a ton of tests and my CBC was not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can um, imagine. Yeah. yeah. So um, eventually I was diagnosed with leukemia um, mm-hmm. and I was treated at Boston Children's Hospital at the mm-hmm. Jimmy Fund and treatment lasted going on three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long time. And I spent the first month in the hospital and the rest of my treatment, I had to go down to Boston every week and then every two to three weeks. Um, and then there were some stints in the hospital sprinkled in when mm-hmm. I got would get like the chicken pox, which yeah. not great when you're yeah. getting a compromise <laughs> or RSV. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds like a very like difficult thing to go through for your, you and your family. Um, initially, it sounds like there was a lot of, like, maybe confusion over the diagnosis or trouble kind of coming to the, the conclusion of what the diagnosis was. What was that like for you and your family, kind of, you mentioned, like, your mom knowing something's wrong, but not having kind of any formal answer of what was going on at that time? Yeah, I think a lot of it is stuff that I've gleaned from my parents in retrospect, yeah. because at the time... All I knew, I was like, something is wrong with my back. Yeah. Like, even as a kid, I was like, I just can't move right now. Yeah. And I was diagnosed in September of 2001, but I definitely started having back pain that summer or maybe even earlier. Mm-hmm. And when you look at pictures of me from the time, too, like earlier in the year, I looked like a normal kid. Mm-hmm. And then later in the year, I like had circles under my eyes and I just yeah. looked really pale I just like didn't look great yeah even if I was smiling in a picture I mean you know they weren't taking pictures of me when I was like having severe pain but I just yeah. didn't look healthy yeah. per se um and I sort of I I did not feel well for 
a while leading up to when I actually was diagnosed. Um, and then I guess to one really fortunate, I was fortunate in a, t- a lot of ways, like fortunate that I lived super close to yes. Boston Children's, like arguably the best children's hospital in the world. Mm-hmm. And my parents had insurance that covered everything. And my parents both work in healthcare, so they're both able to take really, really good care of me. Mm-hmm. But my dad, he, as soon as they knew from imaging and testing that something was wrong, mm-hmm. he sort of reached out to a couple of his friends that he trusted and was like, all right, yeah. you, medical geniuses, you, yeah. help me figure out what's wrong with my daughter. Um, they actually were, they actually had a suspicion that it was leukemia before I was officially diagnosed, but yeah. I know that now. I didn't, at the time, I yeah. had, I didn't know it was Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard at that age to kind of have a good understanding of, like, yeah. every, like, the whole picture, and even to, like, look back, I'm sure, to remember, yeah. things probably are a little more fuzzy. My dad's also a doctor, and yeah. I know the feeling of uh, I, I think like not you know had to experience any major health health issues, but yeah, my siblings and I, everything we were like, oh, can you help me with this? I don't yeah. know, like always asking him for help. It's yeah. like so valuable to have yeah. a, a healthcare member in your family for yeah. sure, or even just someone like you mentioned who knows how to get the right resources or mm-hmm. how to how to take care of their child when they're sick or advocate for them as well. And then what was it like, you know, being a patient at that, that young age? What was the experience like going through that, being in the hospital and experiencing, you know, kind of feeling like something's wrong in your body, you know? I think, I mean, there were definitely times when I was really uncomfortable and it took a while for um, my team there to be able to manage my pain effectively. Um, and so I remember there were definitely times when I was in a lot of pain and times when I was just so, so uncomfortable, like just throwing up all the time because that's just what chemo can do to you. And there are times, like physically, there were definitely, I I did not feel great for most of my memories of being in the hospital. But I also remember, and something that I think is really special and says a lot about, my parents mm-hmm. and also the team at Boston Children's yeah. is like my my parents are with me all the time and my mom was there most of the time because um, my dad was working full-time at the time and in a weird way I had a lot of fun moments at the hospital too mm-hmm. um, I think that's something that's special about children's hospitals yeah. more commonly than yeah. you know normal adult hospitals like one time, this was when I had um, chicken pox, so I couldn't be on the normal hemon floor because I was super contagious, right? And you yeah. don't want to give all the other immunocompromised kids chicken pox. Yeah. So they put me on the bone marrow transplant floor, oh which seems like it would be a terrible choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> basically, they put me in one of the, in like the sealed off room, yeah. and all I remember is that I had this beautiful big room all to myself, and I had disco lights on the ceiling. Oh I had my own gosh. computer. Um, I had like a special menu. I had a great view, and I had all these like special bonus things because I was in one of these like yeah. tricked out rooms. Yeah. That yeah. I was like, I mean, I don't feel great, but it could be worse. Yeah. I have disco lights. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, that's like so amazing. Like the things that they can do and provide for for kiddos in the hospital. Um, obviously it sucks to be in the hospital, and I'm just always um, so amazed at like the resources that there is in pediatrics. Also, like, I'm biased, I'm going into pediatrics, yeah. but when I compare, like, pediatric hospitals versus adults, I'm like, ooh, like, there's a huge difference yeah. in, like, the, uh, just, like, the environment and the support that we have for, for kiddos, and um, 
yeah, I my dad's a um, pediatric oncologist. And I remember like cool. visiting him where he worked, and like it, the whole hospital, like the floors, like there's like painting on it. You look like yeah. you're kind of. I don't know if it's the same way now, but it, like, looked like you were, like, kind of in a jungle or, like, you were yeah. in a safari or something. So, like, the whole the whole way that the, the hospital was set up, I was like, that's so cool and unique for a kid. Obviously, the, the you know, younger kids especially get to explore being in this environment, and they have, like, so many toys and stuff like that. Yeah. Just so important when you are maybe whisked away from your home environment and have to be stuck in the hospital, be uncomfortable, in pain especially for kids who don't have their parents by their bedside all the time. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's just really nice what we can provide for some kids in the hospital at times. Um, and I think too, it was, I, I look back and I think like, wow, I'm, that was a terrible experience, but I'm so lucky that I yeah. was able to have a parent with me at all times. And then yeah. coming home from the hospital, I didn't go to school for like a good two or three years. Yeah. I missed a lot of school. And so I sort of just, like, tooled around with my mom during the day yeah. a lot of the time. Um, and sometimes, I, I mean, I think that it it was it was hard socially in, in some ways to go back to school. Um, like, I think it took me a little while to get back in the swing of things yeah, in that way. Yeah, I can way. imagine, yeah. But also, I feel like I, I got really close with my parents, and, and yeah. I think that's really special. And I'm, I know... I was I was lucky in a lot of ways, and that's one way where I was able to. It's a, it's just a special type of bond, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that they're able to take good, such good care of me too. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine like that experience also can really bond you as a family as well. You're kind of like going through it together. You know, it's like yeah. parents of a, a sick kid. That's also kind of a a journey that you have to go on and, and experience like being a caretaker for someone who is sick, especially your child as well. And one other thing in that regard, too, that I think looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is I'm glad we're all together in one yeah. piece alive. Yeah. Um, is like not only did my dad go through cancer, like he was treated for cancer right before yeah. I was. Um, so my mom was his primary caregiver yeah. always at that time, too. And then she was mine. Like the stress of going through both of those things is super hard yeah. as a caregiver. But then I also think about my sister who she's less than or younger than me. Oh, so wow. we're not we're not twins, yeah. or I guess we're Irish twins, is yeah. like what some people say. But I mean, I think it's a different kind of stress and a different kind of sadness and yeah. grief that she has to carry with her. Yeah. Because like even though she wasn't going through the same physical pain that I was, it's really hard, you know she's basically the same age as me yeah. you, you don't understand what's happening really yeah and you don't have that attention focused on you because you're not the sick kid yeah um but you still have to go through a lot of those same experiences and you still yeah. have to be in a hospital at many of the same times that your siblings in a hospital yeah. um and you but you don't get that like special attention that the sick kid often yeah. does yeah and I think that is really hard and that's something I can only put my myself in her shoes and think about what that's like but that's something too that I think I mean I feel really bad that she had to go through it and I'm also look back I'm like wow it's a miracle like I'm just so grateful that we all came out of this like 
loving each other more than anything yeah. all together like yeah. all alive that's really incredible like going through that and and like you said like coming out the other side and still kind of being together and yeah. having gotten through it together I think it's really it's really powerful what was it kind of like you know getting through it and, and coming out the other side and you know being healthy <laughs> yeah it was definitely a process like there wasn't one moment when I was like aha yeah I'm cured yeah. although I guess technically after like they you know sampled my cells and I'm like there's no cancer here yeah. technically I guess I was in remission at that yeah. moment but I was wearing a back brace for years. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> as soon as they saw those fractures, they're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Um, I had a body brace for a while, so that took a while to heal. I wasn't allowed to do contact sports for a while, and I think socially, as I was saying before, it took me a while to get back into the swing of things. So I sort of felt like the the person, however five or six year old me identified, mm-hmm. you know, like as you know whatever rudimentary I self-perception I had of myself mm-hmm. I never honestly I, I don't feel like I really ever went back to that was and it took me a while to like not think of myself as a sick kid and I I can't really remember when that stopped and cancer also is something that like I still think about a yeah. lot and especially yeah. now because it's like a career thing for me and sometimes I think it can be helpful in clinical spaces to reflect and be like okay myself in that person's shoes which I may or may not have been in or which I may or may not have firsthand seen my family be in like what's going on here so it's something I think about a lot I don't identify as a sick person anymore but I I, there wasn't a specific moment where I was like all right yeah (laughs) yeah that's what I was kind of curious about um especially with cancer and childhood cancer it, it becomes you know, even ones that are, like, treatable or curable, yeah. it's not like you get this, like, cured and you're, like, oh, everything's right with my body, you know? Because yeah. especially whatever treatments you go through, there's so many consequences or, like, long-term outcomes of them. Or, yeah. like you mentioned, like, having to wear a back brace for a while. Like, it's not just something you kind of walk out of. And I, I kind of wonder, you know, how that impacts you or impacted you throughout your childhood as well. And I'm also curious to know how, like how that experience like influenced your or impacted your decision to go into medicine or the types of specialties that you're interested in? Yeah, I guess physically, like it, it took me a while to get my strength back. Mm-hmm. And also there are definitely some things that still haven't fully come back. In the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things, as far as, as far as long-term effects go, they're not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when I was taking vincristine, for example, like I got hit hard with yeah. peripheral neuropathy. I was yeah. tripping all over the place, oh having trouble with my buttons, stuff yeah. like that. And like my feet, like I have like cavus foot, like, yeah. like overarched feet yeah. because of the way like the nerves innervate your feet and everything. And that yeah. honestly hasn't really resolved. Yeah. So sometimes people look at this, this is like a weird thing to talk about. Like sometimes people look at my feet and are like, your feet are weird. And I'm like, yeah. they are, <laughs> they are weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, I have weak ankles because of that too. Mm. So watching me try and ice skate is pretty entertaining. <laughs> but like in the grand scheme of things, not a huge deal compared mm. with all the other long-term effects. And I guess like that's like I don't know. That's just one of the very minor things that comes to mind. But it still it like changes your body, you know. It does, like yeah. It it's changed almost like the way you interact with the world, or at least temporarily, with the bad peripheral neuropathy or kind of long term 
just I mean and then also like like you mentioned it sticks with you and it's something that you still think about and you still carry with you and it it goes into your interactions and um in medicine um and I know you said you're interested in in cancer medicine maybe oncology yeah Um, so those are the specialties you're interested in currently I definitely see myself doing something oncology related Mm -hmm. and if I had to pick at this moment, I see myself going into radiation oncology, mm-hmm. but I, um, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't get away from it and not mm-hmm. in a bad way. It's just something that really lights a fire in me yeah. intellectually, but also emotionally. Yeah. Um, I just think it's something that like, I, I just like learning about cancer. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so you mentioned that you'd had an experience caring for a pediatric patient with ALL yeah. during your clerkship year, is yeah. that correct? So tell me a little bit more about that experience. You've, you've touched on, you know, um, your, your experience with cancer sticking with you and the emotional aspect of that. So I'm just curious to hear about um, the experience caring for this patient and if any of those emotions or um, things came up during that. Yeah, that was, that was a very weird like ultimately good experience, but it was definitely one of the most prolonged emotional times of clerkships for me. So I just remember, so I had, I guess, three weeks of um, being on the inpatient hemong team. And the first patient that came in was a little girl who had just been diagnosed with AOL. And her mom worked in healthcare mm-hmm. and I guess just like seeing her and she didn't have exactly the same presentation as me or anything Mm -hmm. um, because like the whole you know compression fracture thing that's pretty rare Mm -hmm. but like seeing her in the hospital and and there were some things that she did that just sort of like broke a dam of memories that sort of been walled up for a while Mm -hmm. and sometimes seeing her mom interact with her I was just like oh my gosh it's me it's my mom it's my family it felt I I felt like such a privilege to take care of her Mm -hmm. but it also made me emotional in (laughs) I mean I was emotional for a lot of clerkship year but like emotional in a way that I was not used to dealing with with during clerkships being able to literally put myself back in in the family's shoes like much more easily and with a lot more emotion than many cases yeah like there was this one moment where the patient's hair started to fall out and she goes like oh I have magic hair and she like pulls out a clump of hair and I literally did the exact same thing in my hospital bed and on one part part of me was like I think it's funny that little kids still think it's funny (laughs) like they can that like that type of thing which you know, is, is kind of devastating in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, oh, magic hair. But I was also like, ah, like 20 years apart. Like, yeah. the same little girl sitting in the same bed. Like, yeah. also thought it was magic hair. It just felt really weird and yeah. very emotional. It's like very, uh, so it's like coincidental. Like, yeah, yeah, it like puts you back in that, that moment. And I'm sure it brings up, like you said, a lot of memories. I can imagine, obviously, you know, haven't been through the, a similar experience, but. I can imagine like that distance or time in between that experience and it being when you're so young that kind of those memories are feel more distant you know like they're not something you're like oh that happened yesterday and it's on your mind and so I can imagine it being triggered in a sense or brought up and it feels like it 
all comes flooding back in a sense and I wondered what that was like in terms of like caring for this patient and how you felt about being in this the role of a provider for this patient yeah I think it made me very very it made me try and be very thoughtful as best I could about Mm -hmm. like how I interacted with them because one part of me was just dying to be like oh my gosh I had the exact same type of cancer like Mm -hmm. it's gonna be okay like life gets better this is gonna be so hard but life gets better but then I was like oh my gosh literally this family just received a cancer diagnosis like two days ago like Mm -hmm. their world is being ripped apart right now this little girl is going through all these like scary procedures and she's in pain and like is it really helpful for me to be like look at me now (laughs) like I don't know (laughs) and ultimately I didn't ultimately I decided not to like say that to them because I was just like if unless I'm like 100% sure that this is going to like help what is almost certainly like the hardest thing this little girl and this family has gone through Mm -hmm. like I don't want to be responsible for like adding to this moment right now Mm -hmm. um so instead I tried to like think about things that helped me when I was going through like in that moment and I remember when I was first in the hospital um I I'd never really been a big like Charlie Brown and the Peanuts person, but mm-hmm. there's a particular video called Why Charlie Brown Why, a particular mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Um, and it's when a character, like one of Charlie Brown's friends comes on and she ends up getting leukemia. And so mm-hmm. it was a popular video, I guess, to show to yeah. kids when I was in the hospital. And so I was like, I don't know if you like Charlie Brown, but there's a really great episode. And I was like, maybe that'll help them because I know it was something that helped me in the hospital. Yeah. So I don't know if they actually watched it, but... <laughs> I was just, it was hard though, it was a struggle because I don't like to inject myself into like patient experiences, but I really, I really wondered whether it would help. I had a really similar experience taking care of patients with eating disorders in the hospital where I was like, I just wanted to be like, like, because a lot of that takes like self-motivation to want to get better as well, and so I wanted to be like, you can do it, like, look, I've done it, and look, I'm happier for it and, you know, look at the things you can do. But you're like, what is that? Like, it just feels like you're interjecting yourself and, like, they're going through something that's both personal and their own. And even though it's a similar struggle, you're like, how does it just, I don't know, you want to set that barrier where you're like, oh, I don't want to, like, share that because it's, like, sharing a lot of myself or putting myself into their story. So it's hard. It's, like, very difficult. And I think not a lot of people... I mean, if you haven't had an experience with being sick before, it's hard, you, you know, you don't understand that. But when you do, you're, like, trying to toe the line between seeing yourself in the patient, but also, like, yeah. um, not trying trying not to see yourself in the patient, you yeah. know? Because you're like, yeah. oh, I'm here as the provider. So it's very it's very interesting to, to think about. And I think it definitely provides a unique perspective. But also, I think it, it makes you a better provider for it in a lot of ways because yeah. you you have a lot of empathy and understanding of where the patient and family are coming from, even if it's a different experience, like you said. And something, too, I don't know if this is if this is something that you also can relate to, but, like, like cancer care, what, like, you know, taking, pa- pa- taking care of patients with cancer was something that was, so like, such a motivating factor for me to go to medical school. And yeah. there I was, like, on the wards. I was doing, like 
my hemonc rotation, I was like, oh, yes, this is, like, why I, why I want to be here. And then having to always remind myself, like, I'm the provider here. Like, maybe this is my personal fire for, like, what brings me here. But yeah. in this patient's mind, that has nothing to do with yeah. the pain they're feeling right now. Yeah. And, like, separating that, but also, like, feeling all the feels of, like, personal passion versus, yeah. like, take a step back and be like, but that's not them. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do psychiatry for a while and do yeah. peds psychiatry. I'm still interested in it, and I'm applying into, like, triple board programs as yeah. well as peds. But after caring for multiple patients with eating disorders, ultimately decided, like, yeah. it was too much yeah. for me. And yeah. it was, I'm like, I'm still passionate about it and want to help patients with eating disorders, but it's just too, like, yeah. it's too much. And so I can definitely relate to that. Of, like, the emotions can be a lot. And you feel yeah. almost, like, bad about yourself as yeah. a provider. You're like, oh, I'm supposed to be able to take care of anything. But yeah. I think that's not not true we shouldn't place ourselves in a position where you know we're impacted in a way that then is compromising our ability to care for patients and not to say that if you've had you know emotions at all that come up that you're compromised (laughs) at all but I think it just depends on the person and their personal experiences and what is you know what is their boundary as well you mentioned um, kind of having different emotional experiences throughout clinical clerkship year. And if you don't mind sharing kind of what, um, what was the rest of clerkship year like and what was emotional about it in a lot of ways, because I think it is a very demanding year, but you also see a lot of suffering and you see, yeah. you know, there's just a lot of patient scenarios that come up. And so I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Uh the biggest emotions just stress yeah <laughs> like just stress yeah. as if that's like an easy thing to deal with but um I guess I I spent so much time like spending so much active time being stressed and anxious mm-hmm. and eventually I got to a point where I was like it's okay like I'm all these things like I, I just I had to remind myself more often than I'm used to that like you know, like, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's going okay. Yeah. You're here. You're doing the thing. You're not yeah. expected to, like, know how to do things perfectly. Like, it's that's why there's so much training, yeah. thank goodness. But it took me a while to figure out how to deal with that. And that was the biggest challenge. And I actually, that and also the first half to two-thirds of clerkship year two – I was still really struggling socially because first year had been so isolating. And then when you're on the clerkships, like, in some ways, it sort of feels like you're all bonded together. Like, you all went through the same, like, really intense year. But if you're on, like, psych, you don't see people that are in the ORs. So, like, you don't see a lot of your class for most of the year. And fortunately, I found a group of people, like when I was on surgery, funnily enough, I was like, okay, yeah. like, I found my girls, this yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, but it took a while, so yeah. a lot of the first half of clinical year was pretty isolating, too. So I think in some ways it was a blessing to be so busy, but yeah. then when I wasn't busy, I was like, oh. I felt that <laughs> second year, too. And I think it was, obviously, you, you came from a more isolating, like, first year, but yeah. it was more of, like, a shock for me, kind of the transition yeah. of... I felt like I built really great relationships with all of my classmates yeah. and things like that. And then all of a sudden, 
know, everyone goes on their separate tracks, and yeah. you're, like, you don't see those people happen again. <laughs> um, and so I was, like, that's, like, I just, like, I'm someone who needs, like, that social support, and that yeah. that's, like, my, what fills my cup, and that's, like, I, yeah. I need to debrief de-stress in a social environment and thankfully I really liked a lot of the people on my track and one uh, very close friend I made my second year we basically like were together 24 7 like studied together all the time and things like that and I was like that was what I needed like I needed someone to go through it with me so that was really helpful to have but I think second year can be so isolating and I think it's it's hard because I feel like there's things that the medical school could do or like things that could be integrated a little bit more but the year itself is just so jam-packed and so intense that that was the issue is everyone builds their own like little schedule so everyone's in their own little bubble and so it's hard to bring people together in a like cohesive way or a a way where everyone's together because people are busy and they have their own schedules that they've made so it's like I don't know. It's hard, but I think it's, I definitely struggle with that. It was one of the the harder parts of M2 year, I would definitely say. Yeah. And it's not that it was all bad either. Like it was hard, but I mean, the moments that were good when like, I, I, I don't know, I did some exam technique and like I did it well for the first time and, or I gave like a really good presentation or whatever. And I was like, huh, this feels really good. Like I'm doing the thing. I'm, I'm getting to be like, the person and the professional person that I want to be yeah. so there's some rewarding parts but <laughs> yeah also really judging parts I can definitely yeah agree with that I remember when I finally understood like how to measure JVP yeah. and like, actually what <laughs> JVP is I was like oh yeah. that's so cool like now I know and or when I finally learned to read an EKG and then probably forgot how to read an EKG <laughs> but yeah like, it's like when you like finally like something clicks it's really exciting yeah. or someone's just like oh good job and you're like oh that feels so good yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kind of going back a little bit more, tell me a little bit more. We talked about your experience studying art history, um, mm-hmm. but I'm just kind of like curious about your if that's still like a passion that you have and an interest that you've like carried through throughout medical school, or you know how do you kind of balance your passions outside of medicine um, with you know busy schedule? Yeah, I struggle with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, you just came out of clerkship year. This is the busiest year. It's like where you lose all your your passions during medical school, and it comes back your third year for yeah, sure. Thankfully. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I still love the arts, and art mm-hmm. was something that I really liked growing up in various forms. Um, like, I really wanted to be a prima ballerina when I was little, um, and. I loved um, music, and I like to sing, and mm-hmm. I like to do ballroom dance in college, like stuff like yeah. that. So it's always been just something that's always made me really happy and made me very joyful to experience and yeah. to do. But I think that um, I'd never really considered it as an academic arena for me, and mm-hmm. I never really considered it as a potential career choice. So when I was in ca- like when I encountered our history in college I was like oh yeah uh-huh, this is so cool yeah um and it was just it was a really great way to like grow my curiosity about the world and I loved that about it because art history I feel like art history in some ways it's like the ultimate liberal artsy experience because it's like yeah. intersection of language and time and gender and sexuality and different cultures yeah. and like notions about race and identity like anything like there's like art is where all of those things collide 
And so I, I just think it's a, it's a really great thing to study. I don't do art historical things that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to go to museums yeah. um, and stuff. And I... I guess I'm technically part of auscultations here, like the acapella oh, yeah. group. Um, <laughs> although I have been to very few rehearsals. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I try and do it when I can. One of one really good experience or meaningful experience this past clerkship year, there was that spring workshop week, I forget what it was called, mm-hmm. and I signed up for a couple museum workshops. And... There were some exercises where we were in a gallery and they're like, okay, like reflect on this work of art. And that felt really special because it felt like a nice way to reflect on like very, just a lot of like stress, anxiety, and then looking around at the art and being like, okay, like this is a way for me to like let myself feel the emotions and like enjoy some beautiful objects. And um, that was meaningful for me. That's yeah, that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm just curious because I have, you know, I'm really interested in narrative medicine and the medical humanities, and I think it's hard to find find time for both that, but then also like just for your passions and interests in general sometimes in medicine. And so I'm always mm-hmm. curious of ways that people have found to be able to like integrate the two, and and how to, you know, if you've ever felt like your background has been like, you know, helpful for you in medical school, it makes you think about things in a different way. Um, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's super interesting. Yeah. I I love it when people come from like different backgrounds or different disciplines of study from during their undergrad because I think it just adds to kind of your experience of or your worldview and the way you think about things. So, yeah. which I like about our school too. I think we have uh, people yeah. from lots of different backgrounds. Yeah, yeah. I also agree. Like there, are, people have done some pretty remarkable things before yeah. getting here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much again for coming down the podcast and and sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Distant Moon, Stories of Healthcare Education. You can find us on oxycardia.com, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.